Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. You know, the law in Leviticus, not only here, but also in Leviticus, it says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, they both shall be put to death. I mean, think of how small our population would be if this were the case in our country. I'm really glad that, that, you know, we don't have to go out and murder anybody. Uh, this This is something that God did with Israel, and he did it for a reason. He set them apart. They were a holy people. And they tell you, they're a wonderful people. Honestly, even though the, the Jewish people today, you know, they're, they're, um, they're in a bad place. But they started off very well because their God was God. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today in part two of Learning God's Law Pertaining to Sexual Morality in Deuteronomy chapter 22. In this study, we learn how serious God is concerning the sin of adultery and sexual immorality. He sets rules for the nation of Israel that dictate his dislike for those actions, some as serious as the death penalty. Unfortunately, in our society today, sexual immorality is seen as completely acceptable, and because there isn't an immediate judgment, people think God approves, but there is nothing farther from the truth. Remember, God sees all, and because of his long-suffering, is always willing to show his great mercy. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. You know, I wonder if our young girls today care about their reputation. There once was a time where uh, a reputation of a young lady was something that was really important, but it seems like even in my own time, as time has gone on, even from when I was a young in my teens, I found that as time has gone on, the desire, the, the concern for a, a reputation to be pure is completely gone. There was a time when it was important, but now because of peer pressure, now because of our uh, our wicked and adulterous ads and campaigns that you see on the billboards and on the movies and the music. Everything is so twisted. Everything is so highly sexual. So much so that the ladies, they have to, they're compelled to look like that billboard. They're compel- compelled to look like that cover of that magazine. And Why? Why do they feel like they've got to do that? For a simple reason. Because when men walk by, what do they do? Their eyes fall out of their head. And what does that do to a woman? They think, wow, if I really want to capture the heart of a man, I've got to dress like a harlot. <laughs> I've got to look like that. That's the, that's the goal. That's the standard now. It has been. Has it not? I think it has. And it's really unfortunate it's really horrible 
But the devil has done a good job devaluing purity in our culture so much that it's more acceptable to lose your virginity as quickly as possible so as not to be looked on and ridiculed and called Mr. or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes. And that's the way it is. Teens and young people don't often feel like they fit in our culture and around their friends unless they have lost their virginity. It's become an unfortunate and dangerous rite of passage. I'm just being honest. I can speak to you adults tonight. Dad, you care about your daughters and your son's reputation. Your sons as well. You know, it's also an unfortunate thing that dads will encourage this kind of sexual innuendo to their sons. They learn from their dads about how to look and to speak at women. Guys, I would encourage you, everywhere you go, keep your eyes single. Keep your eyes to your own wife. And especially this time of year, keep your heart right. Keep your mind pure. Job says, I have purposed in my heart to not look upon a maiden. And we need to do the same as well. And ladies, I would encourage you to be modest in your apparel. Again, not a popular thing. So important, though. Verse 16, it says, And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man, and he detests her. Now he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin, and yet these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity. He lays it out in front of them. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. And then, verse 18, the elders of that city shall take that man and punish him. And notice, and they shall fine him 100 shekels of silver. Underline that, 100 shekels of silver and give them to the father of the young woman. Why? Because he has not only brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel, which God hates. She's a virgin. Why are you you making it sound like she's something other than that? God takes that very seriously, and so ought we as well. Because he's brought a bad name on a virgin of Israel, and she shall be his wife, he cannot divorce her all of his days. We're going to look at this 100 shekels of silver, but we'll wait till we, and later in the chapter we'll come back to this. But God makes sure he covers the bases for every wicked thing that a person may conjure up in their heart. Doesn't Jeremiah say, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things? Who can know it? It is true. That's why we have the word of God. It's our compass. It's our guide. It's our anchor. It's the thing that keeps us sane. Because I'll be honest with you, that some of the legislation that I'm hearing Folks, it's insane. I mean, have you ever stepped back and just tried to look at it as objectively as you can? And you're thinking, my Lord, we've lost our bearings. We've lost our minds. How is it that this is happening? Verse 20, but if the thing is true and evidences of virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring out the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her to death with stones. Why? Because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house. And why? Why is this? Why do you do this? So you shall put away the evil from among you. Let me say this. I mean, obviously we live in an age of grace and we have laws in our land. And, you know, think about what life in America would be without laws. It would be completely chaotic. It would be completely chaotic. But once, can you imagine the first couple of times... In, the hist- in Israel's history when they actually have to do this kind of thing. To see something so barbaric, to see something so serious. I mean, think about it, guys. Your daughter, how would you feel about that? 
She does this. Your heart is in shambles. You'd be willing to take her place. Say, guys, stone me instead. Let my daughter live. But yet you have to take your own daughter out to the elders. And let me tell you, you do that, that happens once or twice in a community. And there is great fear. There is great emotion. And it really is supposed to be that way. Have you ever seen a lamb die? When we think of Jesus on the cross, when he hung on the cross, it was a murderous thing. Crucifixion is one of the most torturous forms of death known to man. It was horrible. It was bloody. It was, it was incredibly gory. And yet for all of that that Jesus went through on the cross, we know that it wasn't so much all of the nails and the, the spear in the side and the crown of thorns and the blood and the lashings it was that he made his soul, was, it was made an atonement for our sin, for the sin of man, of all mankind. I seen a video one time of an Orthodox Jew actually going through the process of a lamb, sacrificing a lamb. And it was really clinical. And it wasn't like I thought it was. But it brought me to tears. Honestly, it did. They took this little lamb... And there's a, there's a vein on the side of the neck of the lamb. And they were able to identify that. And they would just hold it kind of like, like that. And they would take a razor blade and they would just slice it. And the blood of that lamb would just go out. Have you ever seen a lamb? It's the cutest thing, innocent, pure, without spot, without blemish. This animal that you could have in your home that your kids would play with. And I saw the blood of that lamb just empty out. And then finally it would, just, it would just slowly go to sleep and it would convulse and then there was nothing. And I tell you, when I saw that for the first time, I thought, my Lord. That had a profound impact on me. And to think that yet Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, that that's the way it was for him. And let me tell you, as beautiful and lovely as he was, to see him go through that, it changes you. It changes you immediately. Verse 22, it says, If a man is lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die. The man that lay with the woman and the woman, so shall you put away the evil from Israel. You know the law in Leviticus, not only here, but also in Leviticus, it says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress, they both shall be put to death. I mean, think of how small our population would be if this were the case in our country. I'm really glad that, that you know, we don't have to go out and murder anybody. Uh, this, is, this is something that God did with Israel, and he did it for a reason. He set them apart. They were a holy people. And they tell you, they're a wonderful people. Honestly, even though the, the Jewish people today, you know, they're, they're, um, they're in a bad place. But they started off very well because their God was God. But what does grace say? You remember in John chapter 8, the first 11 verses, there was a woman caught in adultery. In fact, let me just read it to you. John chapter 8, this is what grace says. It says, Now early in the morning he came again, Jesus, into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. And then the scribes, the Pharisees, they brought him a woman caught in adultery. And then they had her... They set her in the midst, and they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. 
in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, we should, that she should be stoned, but what do you say? Now we know that they were trying to twist his words and try to get him at odds with the law so that they would have something to accuse him. So Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, and as, as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking them, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground, and then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, Woman, where are those your accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Was she guilty? Absolutely. Where was the man? Didn't we just read that if a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die? And the Pharisees bring this woman caught in the very act. Well, if you're caught in the very act, there has to be someone else. Where's the guy? We don't want to talk about that. We just want to stone her. (laughs) Can you imagine the rotten heart of man? But grace says, it's true. You have sinned. But go and sin no more. That changed that woman's life. I'm sure she went away and no longer continued in the thing that she was doing. Grace also says this. Romans chapter 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? How can we live any longer in sin? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. For those who really comprehend grace, we start, stay as far away from the boundary as possible. You know that you know, some people get really close to the edge of a, a particular sin. They start flirting with it. Here's the edge and at rate where, the, where they commit it. And people, just because we're people, we like, to, we like to flirt around with it and get close to it and see how far we can get. You know, it's, just, it's very, unfortunately, it's very natural. We see it in kids. You ever see a kid? You know, they say, don't touch that. And they'll walk over like a little four-year-old five-year-old with a lollipop in their mouth, and you say, don't touch that, and they'll walk over. And then they'll go back, and then they don't you do it. And then they get right up to it, and they test the boundaries. How far can I get? How far can I get? How far can I get? And then, then they finally touch it, and the parent goes, you better not do it again. It's unfortunate, isn't it? as a parent we should have acted right then but instead we tell them we teach them it's okay now that you've touched it go ahead and continue touching it we have to bring in these things discipline is good Uh, a right relationship with Jesus is, is very good and discipline is good I need boundaries a child who has boundaries a people who have boundaries are a people who know that they're loved I was told by somebody recently, when we were just at the pastor's conference recently, just a couple days ago, somebody was telling me about a a child who admitted that when he was left alone and his mom and dad were aloof doing their own thing, he felt unloved. He committed crime. He went out and he did all these really bad things, just a really bad kid. And they asked him, why are you doing these things? And he says, you know, my, my parents could care less. 
And he goes, they, they don't even care what I do, so I just, I just do it. You know, and, and then there's other kids who you give them, you know, boundaries, and they know, and they know that you love them. And they respond to that love. And that's the way I am. I like to respond to God's word. I like to respond to it. I like to listen to it. I like to let it get down deep in my heart. I want to please God. Do you want to please God? I want to please Jesus. I want to hear him one day say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear him say, you've done well. You're not a perfect man. I know that. I'm going to make mistakes. But you've you were like David. You, 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 you love me with all of your heart. You were a man. You were a woman after God's own heart. Let's be that kind of person. A person after God's own heart. Really desiring him. Really loving him. In July 19th of 2012, on the BillyGraham.org website, he wrote an article called, My Heart Aches for America. And let me just read a very short excerpt from it. He says, Some years ago, my wife, Ruth, Ruth uh, Graham, was reading the draft of a book I was writing. When she finished a section describing the terrible downward spiral of our nation's moral standards and the idolatry of worshiping false gods such as technology and sex, she startled me by exclaiming, and I quote, if God doesn't punish America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Ruth Graham said that, and it's true. Verse 23 If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, you shall put away evil from among you. Again, these are examples, and they're meant to startle us. They're meant to promote fear into us that we don't do those things. And I respond really well to fear. I respond really well to pain. (laughs) I respond really well to pain. But I want you to underline something in verse 23. Underline the word betrothed, and then in verse 24 toward the end, underline neighbor's wife. Because the word betrothed is a Hebrew word which means eras. And it means to engage for matrimony. When when, when you're betrothed to someone in in the Hebrew culture... It is like the arrangement has been made. A lot of these times, the fathers of the two parties would make this arrangement while the kids are still kids. They would make the arrangement. That, you know, our son and your daughter are going to get married, and they both make an agreement. They clap hands, and, and it's a done deal. And then there comes a time when they're the betrothed, and it's a year, a year period, where they, their purity is tested when they get old enough to marry. And it's a year-long period. And it's binding. It's legally binding. They are literally husband and wife, but they have not consummated the relationship. That comes when the the groom goes to the bride's house and he retrieves her and brings her, her back to his father's house. That is where the marriage is consummated, but not until then. And that's what betrothal means. And that's why it's so startling to see in verse 24 about his neighbor's wife. They're just betrothed. But in that culture... It is legally binding. For a year, they they go through this process. In Matthew chapter 1, why don't you go ahead and turn there. And this you know very well. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25. You recall that it was concerning the birth of Jesus. And Mary and Joseph were in this betrothal period. And this is when things went south. (laughs) 
Because here they are in this year of betrothal, and they have a decision to make. Are we going to stay pure? Because believe me, it's very natural for when a husband and a wife, when they are engaged, it's very difficult because God is doing a, pro- it's a process. It's very normal and natural, you know, to look at each other with those starry eyes and, you know, your heart beats a little bit faster when you see just a glimpse of him or her, you know, and it's very good and it's sweet and it's wonderful. It's supposed to be that way. But notice what happened in verse 18. It says, The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, they hadn't consummated the relationship, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Underline that prepositional phrase, (laughs) of the Holy Spirit, because that makes all the difference in the world. And now Joseph's got a real problem. He knows what we just read in Deuteronomy. She should be stoned. She's played the harlot. But Joseph loved her. I think in his heart of hearts, he knew that she was a pure, innocent virgin of Israel. And of course she was. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her. Notice, it's already conceived in her. Life happens at conception, folks. (laughs) That thing conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Jehovah Shua, Joshua, God's salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, and this is in Isaiah 7, verse 14, Behold the virgin, the virgin, a specific virgin, Mary the virgin, The virgin, the virgin, shall be with child and bear a son, capital S, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife, and he did not know her. That's a King James way of saying he didn't have intimacy with her. Till until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And we know that the Bible gives the, the names of the other brothers and sisters that Mary and Joseph had. There were at least four other brothers, uh, three, other, uh, three other brothers and uh, at least two sisters. There's three or four different places in the Bible where their names are given to us. He did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and, she, and the, he called his name Jesus. And so this awful stigma that Mary and and Joseph carried around for their whole life. Think of it, Mary. You know, sometimes I think the Lord is this checks and balances thing. You know, he's gonna she's gonna be exalted because of her her status as a uh, the mother of God in a sense, right? But Jesus said, "Don't worship her. You worship me." The very last words that Mary said in the Bible, whatever he says do it. That's it. It's the last word she said. But think of the awful stigma that she had to live with for the rest of her life. And even though Mary was betrothed to Joseph, they were not to consummate until their legal wedding day. But their betrothal to one another was legally binding. But she was already pregnant with the Holy, by the Holy Spirit. The seed of the woman. Shouldn't it be the egg of the woman? There's something in that, right? The seed of the woman. 
It's very specific. The seed comes from the man. The egg is from the woman. But the seed came from the Spirit of God. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3, 15. The seed of the woman. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.